I basically describe my addiction as me trying to fill this God-sized hole inside of me with things that were external, with drugs, mm. alcohol, clothes, money. Really what I needed was to tune into myself, have a connection with my higher power and feel good on the inside. I was able to start the process of yoga, which you know helped me fill that, that void that I had. That was Taylor Hunt, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Every week I speak with yogis I admire about their path and their purpose. And often that path is riddled with trips, falls, and heartbreak. And it's through those challenges that we find our purpose. This week, my guest knows that heartbreak all too well. He's a recovering addict who has found his purpose integrating Ashtanga yoga into the 12-step recovery system to help raise others up from the same despair he once experienced. But before we get into the interview, please take a minute to subscribe to Dharma Talk if you haven't done so already. It takes just a second and it really helps. Please also leave a rating and review. If you enjoy the show, this is a great way to let others know that they should check it out as well. Also, you can always share the episode with a friend if it's meaningful to you and you think it would resonate with others, please do that. And finally, if you have the financial means to make a donation, you can always do that at henrywins.com donate. And it's very much appreciated. As usual, I've got a few announcements for you. Do you want to level up your yoga practice? Well, check out the Henry Yoga app, my brand new 40 day, 40 minutes daily program for anyone looking to get serious about yoga. Sign up and get your first two classes free at henryyoga.com. I've also got some workshops coming up that I would love to see you at. On October 26th and 27th, I'm teaching a backbending and handstanding workshop at Living Yoga in Queens. On November 3rd, I'm teaching another handstand workshop at Lighthouse Yoga School. And then after that, I'm off to San Juan, Puerto Rico, the weekend of November 8th to 10th, and my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, November 22nd to 24th. You can get the details for all those workshops and more at henrywins.com events. Yogis, if you are looking for the perfect way to wrap up 2019 and lay a golden foundation for a beautiful 2020 to come, then please join me and my wife, Veronica Lombo, for our seven-day retreat to Bali. We're calling it Divine Connection because that's our vision for this retreat, that you'll be able to take the time to step away from your typical environment, step away from your social conditioning and your responsibilities and get honed into the divine light within you. And how do we hope to achieve that? Well, every morning is going to begin with noble silence. This is prime time for self-reflection, self-inquiry and inner work. Also, we will have a group meditation every day and two yoga classes, one more rigorous vinyasa class and one more restorative hatha class. We're going to take care of all the food for you. You'll be provided three vegan plant-based and refined sugar-free meals a day. 
And we've also got some exciting adventures and excursions lined up, all included. Basically, we have an amazing experience lined up for you, something totally transformative and empowering. You just have to get yourself to Bali and then we'll take you through the rest. If this sounds appealing, please head over to henrywins.com Bali and you can find all the details there. Now allow me to introduce my guest. Taylor Hunt at Taylor Hunt Yoga on Instagram is a level two authorized Ashtanga yoga teacher, published author, podcast host, and executive director of the Trini Foundation, which brings Ashtanga yoga to people in recovery. Taylor wrote his memoir, Away from Darkness, and hosts the Heartbreak Kids podcast to help inspire others to continue finding healing, even in the darkest of times. Taylor operates Ashtanga Yoga Columbus out of his home base in Ohio. This conversation is really heavy for anyone who has ever struggled with addiction of drugs or any other sort of self-destructive behavior. I'm sure you will find something in here to speak to your heart. We talk about the heartbreak in his family that catalyzed his slide into alcohol and drug abuse. And then we get into how the 12-step recovery system aligns with the sutras and yoga philosophy and how Taylor used the two in combination to find healing and his dharma. He shares why yoga was so painfully difficult for him, but how he knew that he had to stick with it if he wanted to get past his current stage of recovery. Taylor talks about his nonprofit work with the Trini Foundation and how the organization has grown beyond his expectations into something that affects more people than he ever could have done single-handedly. And finally, he shares with us a bit about what his podcast means to him, the Heartbreak Kids podcast, where he shares the other stories of yogis who have risen from the depths of heartbreak into new purpose and understanding. If this episode speaks to you, if you'd like to learn more about Taylor Hunt, then go to dharmatalk.show and type Taylor in the search bar, T-A-Y-L-O-R, and you'll find all the notes and links for this episode, including Taylor's recommended book. And as my weekly reminder, I've got a running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. So if you're looking for something to read, just head over to henrywins.com books and pick out a book. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Taylor Hunt. Taylor, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on here. Fellow podcaster, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Henry. Of course. Of course. Well, Taylor, um, we've got a lot to talk about today. You have such an inspiring background that I'm sure we'll dive into soon. But first, I open with the same question for all my guests. So I want to lay that one out for you. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Yeah. Um, you know, when I read that on the description, I mean, and, and I was like, your podcast and I was checking it out, like I, I started thinking about this question and honestly, Dharma means everything to me. Um, and, and partially because, you know, I feel like today I'm actually living in that alignment. And I think the, the most powerful thing about Dharma and what it means to me is that I'm actually living authentically and I'm living like basically like in alignment with the yoga principles and living what I'm, or I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And I think that's really important. And so that's what it means to me. 
And has it, um, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but has it been a process, a journey to get to that point? Yeah. I mean, it's been an incredibly difficult journey, to be honest with you. You know, like I struggled with addiction um, and I struggled with basically getting my life together and and it, that was like the hardest part of my life um, because I always knew like when I was really like, you know, when I was putting needles in my arms that I wasn't supposed to be living like that. Like I was supposed to do something with my life and help other people. And, and yeah, so it, it was incredibly difficult. Um, but I know that like when I committed to the yoga practice, like I got to a place where uh, things started dropping off that no longer served me. And that brought me mm-hmm. closer and closer to like my Dharma. And, and nowadays you know, I feel like I'm, I'm totally in my Dharma. Like, I feel like I'm a hundred percent, like both feet, uh, living in faith and living in, um, this, this duty that I have, um, to give back to society and to give back to my fellow, uh, fellow yogis and people who are suffering and, you know, speak for people that might not have a voice, you know? And, and that, that is like, uh, I mean, it's amazing, but the journey to get there, Henry, was it was huge, man. I mean, it almost cost me my whole life and caused me so many relationships with, you know, people that, you know, that I hurt. I mean, I, I like just to be straight up, like, I mean, people that I hurt, like that walked away from me, like my family and, you know, loved ones. And uh, I lost a marriage as a result of it. I've lost best friends. Um, all of that stuff, which some of those have come back and um, I definitely have a relationship with my family. Um, but you know, some of, some of the people still to this day, like they don't want anything to do with me as a result of like my actions, which I I totally respect, you know? So yeah, it was hard. Well, as, as difficult as those, those moments and, and that struggle can be one thing that I always think about with, with Dharma and, many of my guests have echoed the same sentiments is that, yes, it feels like now you're finally in alignment and we can celebrate that, but it couldn't have really happened, at least not in the same way without every step that led to it. So that's the, that's the path element of the Dharma. It's not a, it's not a static arrival so much as the whole journey that it takes to land you where you are at any given time. Yeah. I love that. So for those, for those who are not familiar with your story, um, could you spin the clock back a bit and talk us through your um, your entry into addiction and how yoga played a role in taking you through it and taking you out sure. of it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's a huge story. It's like you know, basically almost half my life. Um, but I'll, I'll condense it down a little bit. I mean, I basically started drinking when my parents got a divorce. And, um, the reason why that's like important or at least, uh, enough to mention it is that, um, I lost my foundation. My dad left. My mom was really struggling. I was the middle child and it wrecked me. Um, it really wrecked me. And I know divorce is like super common, all of that stuff. But for me, like my family was my unit. Like it was like the place that I felt safe in. And so all of a sudden, like I wasn't safe. And my mom, I lived with my mom. I was, um, And she basically was struggling to kind of like keep things together. And so I got a job early. I helped pay the bills. Like I I basically helped take care of her instead of her taking care of me. 
um, which she did take care of me, but there, there was a certain element that I became like the father figure and, and like my family. And when they uh, got a divorce, like, I mean, I remember drinking, like as soon as they signed it, because I was like, my life is basically over. Everything that I knew about my life is, is done. And I drank the very first time, uh, a fifth of beef eaters, gin. I drank the whole thing and I blacked out. Your first the time drinking. first time ever. drinking. I drank the whole damn thing and I blacked out and I don't really remember anything besides like my mom coming home from like wherever she was and like screaming over top of me. And I woke up, the, I remember that, that's the only thing I remember, but I, I woke up in a pan with uh, vomit in the pan with my head like basically like stuck in it. Um, so they, they didn't want me to like roll over and choke myself or something like that. And so they put me in a, you know, in a pan. And so I, um, that was my first, you know, initiation into drinking. And, you know, it was sort of like you see on the movies, you know, like I didn't know, really know what else to do during that period of time besides drink because I couldn't deal with my feelings. You know, so you see on the, like mm -hmm. the movies, like you have a rough day or whatever, you go to the bar you know, or, or you, there's some sort of, you're celebrating, you go to the bar, you're, someone dies, like you go to the bar, like something happens, you go to the bar. I was like, okay, well, I guess you're supposed to drink when you have, um, you know, hard things happen. And I was only 15 or I actually, yeah, about 15. And from there, like, um, wow. you know, I just kept drinking because I couldn't deal with like all of the feelings that I had, you know, I was a sensitive kid. Yeah. You know, like I, I couldn't put it together. Like I was also what I would say, like, you know, empathetic. I could like understand other people's emotions, like eat sort of better than mine. And I drank and drank and drank and drank. And, you know, I, I literally after that time, I mean, and maybe it didn't happen directly after, but basically every single day I drank and then I, I got a DUI. Um, you know, I got I got in trouble. Um, this is in my book. I got, I, I got in trouble. It was the first consequences that I ever had for my drinking um, or major consequences, I should say. And um, from that, you know, I had to pay all the lawyer fees. And I've had all the guilt and shame and like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be living your life like that. And so I stopped drinking. But as soon as I stopped drinking, I literally, I remember asking someone if they could go get me pain pills. And once they gave me pain pills, I was like, you know, cause I was like super depressed during that period. I tried to kill myself during that period. You know, I, I like cut my wrist and I, I mean, I'm lucky to be here for that. Uh, you know, because of that as well, like, you know, I, I laid down on the, on my, my bed sheet and it like stopped the wound from like bleeding out. Like it sealed it shut as I like passed out. And I, and, you know, like I had major experiences like that because uh, I was super depressed and really struggling. And I got these pain pills and all of a sudden, like, I was like, oh, this like euphoria came back. Like, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I felt good about life again. But they took a grip on me so strongly that I literally could not get out of that grip. Like, I couldn't stop. I, I mean, I graduated to new and stronger pills, which I, you know, the first time I used heroin, like, I basically, I overdosed and died. Um, and they brought me back to life and, um, you know, cut off my clothes and all of this stuff. It was craziness. You know, it, I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, you know, I've been sober for 13 years and that, that whole, all of those experience feels like a totally different person. 
But I mean, like, as I'm talking about it, like, and I don't know if you can hear it, but I can feel it. Like my voice, like starts to like feel like start to feel weird because it brings up feelings today, just like, you know, and gives me chills just to like speak it out loud. Um, and, and I, I've done other podcasts and I've, you know, talked about my book and, you know, talked about my story, like, you know, hundreds of times, but like, it was such a traumatic and difficult period of my life that like, I can still feel it in my body. And, um, it was, it was crazy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you do continue to feel it. I mean, something as harrowing as that, yeah, your body keeps track of that and I'm sure you're still processing it even after all of these years. That's why they say recovering addict, you know, basically forever. Like one day at a time, I'm still recovering. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I I noticed that you really, you go head on into things when you do them for the first time from the beef eater fifth straight to an overdose, like near death experience from your first use of heroin. Yeah. I I like basically don't have like that, like dabble thing. I don't have that. I, I dive in the deep end really fast. And it's good with good things too, um, which is like really positive because you make a bunch of change or rapid growth or all mm-hmm. of this stuff, um, which is amazing. But during that period, it was like, I mean, it was devastation. Right. You know, it wasn't until I went to my fourth treatment center that I basically, I was like, I've lost enough. And, you know, I like my arms were just, you know, I'd put needles in my arms 30 times a day. Like, I, I mean, they were swollen from infections. Like they, my ex-wife, she literally pushed me in the door, Henry, of the treatment center. And they, they took me into the treatment center and they like locked me down to the bed. That's the only reason why I'm sober today. Push, I pushed you in be because there, you were resisting. Actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they actually literally had like people and, you know, like these nurses in like white coats, like come and drag me in um, to the treatment center because I was like fighting them because I didn't want to be there. And they, they took me up to like, you know, the top floor and, and put me in a room with another person. And they like strapped me down to a bed and they were like, you're staying here. Like your wife has arranged this for you and you're staying here. And I, I basically like rode the cot for, you know, I basically shook there. I withdrew from heroin. I'd I'd done it for about a year and a half. And, uh, I, you know, it's basically like everyone, uh, ex- everyone has like a similar experience. It feels like someone's breaking your bones, like one at a time. And also like going through a massive amount of like flu symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that happens for like three days. And when I came out on the other side, I remember I said a couple things. I was like, you know, I want to, I like and the major one was like, I want to live again. And I didn't want to live three days before. Like I, I would have preferred that I wasn't there anymore um, or around anymore. And I, I woke up and I was like, I want to live again. And I was like, I'll do whatever it takes in order to get sober. And that was the last time that like I've ever had like the compulsion to drink or use again. Well, going through the withdrawal symptoms in the way that you just described, I'm sure that teaches you an incredible lesson about your own threshold for pain and your tolerance of what you, you know, not only your tolerance, but also what you're willing to go through. And if you are able to do that, then it's like, okay, I can, I can support myself through this journey if I choose to heal myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's been like the, you know, I'm like, I'm able to go through that suffering. I'm able to put in the work in order to get sober. Like, yeah. And so there's, I, I do have a huge threshold for pain. Um, but you know, it's taught, that has taught me so much about myself, like getting into recovery and, you know, getting sober and like working a program of recovery has been like one of the most transformational things that I've ever done with my life. I feel so much differently about how I interact with people and, you know, how I look at the world and all of that stuff. And it's, it's really amazing. But yeah, during that, you know, shift, it taught me a lot about myself that I'm, I'm capable of supporting myself and like, like doing whatever I need to do in order to, to be on, on my path, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to learn that lesson about yourself, to learn that you are willing and capable and strong enough to support yourself through whatever it is that you believe you should be doing. That's kind of the foundation for any other change that you want to make. If you have that, that's, that's the groundwork. Totally. I mean, you, if you want to start a business, if you want to start a yoga career, if you want to, you know, you're going through grief or you're going through like a difficult time or loss of job, like that belief system. I mean, it's huge. I mean, honestly, because of my experience today and you can call me crazy, but I think I'm capable of doing whatever I put my mind to. And I, I think the people around me also can uh, like feel that as well. It's like, I feel like I'm capable of doing anything that I put my mind to because I know how hard I can work in order to like take care of myself. And I know how to translate that into my life. Um, I believe that it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't sound crazy to me at all. So where, where did yoga enter the picture for you? Um, I was like six months sober. Um, and this lady walked into my life and I was at a meeting and she came over to me and she basically said like, I'm supposed to teach you yoga. That's what she said to me actually. Um, which was craziness because I was like, wait a second, like who told you that you're supposed to teach me yoga, <laughs> you know? And yeah, I thought it was a little yeah, yeah uh, right. Exactly. And so, um, I asked her that and she was like, it's just a feeling that I got or whatever. And I said, no, I said, yoga is for girls. I'm not interested in it. I have no idea really what it is, but like, I'm not interested. And I was six months sober, like basically fresh off the streets. And I, I just wasn't into it. And this, uh, I, over the next like two days, I saw this lady six times. I'm super stubborn, Henry. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm super stubborn. And, and so it was like, God was like giving me this message that I was supposed to do yoga. I just didn't take it until that like sixth time that I saw her. And it was funny because I was working on uh, the 11th step and the 11th step in like a program of recovery is like sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. Mm -hmm. And like, if you, I'm not sure what your experience is with the 12 steps or whatever, or if you, if you know anything about it, but, um, I'll tell you, like we work the steps, like how you would work the sutras, you know, yeah. you don't, you don't read all of them and be like, check, check, check. I'm done. You actually ask for like that understanding and you ask to like have that processed and you ask for like those messages to come through. And I prayed about it. I was like, you know, help me find you know, prayer and help me find meditation and this connection to my higher power. And I was like praying about it. And this lady walks in and, and she's like, I'm supposed to teach yoga, I'm supposed to teach yoga, I'm supposed to teach yoga over and over and over again. And then uh, all of a sudden, I, uh, like after the sixth time, I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'm supposed to do this stuff. And, and that was really after the suggestion of my sponsor. He was like, uh -huh. you know, isn't yoga meditation? I was like, oh, 
shoot, maybe it is. Like now it's clicking. <laughs> so, now it's clicking. Yeah. Now it's finally clicking. I'm super hard headed, you know, it's like, but once I did it, I walked in, I, I mean, I didn't like it. Like I, I didn't like it at all, to be honest with you. So. Was, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it kind of goes to show like what sort of preconceived notions we, we bring. I mean, you didn't really know what it was, but you had an idea that it was something that was for women and not necessarily related to prayer or a connection to God at all. Um, before you were on the 11th step of the 12 step, uh, process, um, was, was connection to God, something that was important to you? Like, did you grow up with a, with a Christian background? Uh, yeah, I did. did. Yeah. I, and it was, uh, and I always considered myself like, um, pretty, what I would say like devout. Um, oh, really? And I actually, I, I actually still consider myself like pretty devout, um, uh, and, and not necessarily like in with the Christian religion. I mean, it's basically like all religions. Um, mm-hmm. I believe in like the truth that is really, that connects them all. Um, and I, I grew up in like, you know, Christian church and all of that stuff. And I, I would basically say I had sort of a falling out with my higher power. And, um, you know, I was connect, I, like, I was in the process of like reconnecting, like those, um, you know, those lines of communication. Um, and I was in the process of it. And, and I was at, when I was on the 11th step, I was in a place where I was willing to do whatever it took in order to get sober, but I was also willing to be faithful and like do what I was supposed to do by, by like listening to these messages that I would get from other people. And I was getting that message with this lady. I just mm-hmm. wasn't listening at that point um, until my sponsor mentioned it. So, Okay. So you go and you take the yoga class and it's not really for you. No. Then what happens? Yeah. Well, I mean, the crazy thing is I didn't have all the right gear. You know, like I, like I walked in with basketball shorts. I walked in with like a thick mat. I walked in. It was, it was all girls uh, or it was all women. And, um, and like, it, like, it was a little bit like I, I, I was so nervous and anxious. Like I didn't even realize that I had these feelings. I got done and I, and it was so reflective that I hated it. And so I remember running outside and just like bolting out of the yoga studio and just being like, I, I can't deal with this. And, um, you know, I went home, I called my sponsor and I was like, you know, it brought up all these feelings of inadequacy you know, the, it was the first time that I literally felt the consequences of my actions, you know, and like, Mm. I literally felt them in my body. I could not do chaturanga. Like I couldn't do one push up. I mean, it was so bad that the lady had to like, basically like workshop chaturanga so that I could do it. Um, you know, I was weak. Uh, it was just a very interesting experience, like to be in there I mean, I was sweating. I was like so gross. I couldn't touch my toes. Um, it was a, it was a very intense experience and I didn't like it because like it showed me that like I really had messed up my life and I ran from it until I talked to my sponsor and I, I mentioned all of these things that, you know, these inadequacies and all these things that, that were coming up on my yoga mat on the very first time I did it. And he said something that would change my life. Um, you know, he basically said like, Taylor, if you don't, you know, have this stuff come up and process it, you'll never make it to the other side of it. 
And honestly, he's like, I don't even know if you'll stay sober if you don't do this in this yoga class, like have this stuff bring like come up and process it so that you can move to the other side of it. And I was like, I was like, did he just put my all my sobriety on the line if I don't do this yoga class? <laughs> uh, and he did. I was and, yeah. and like I was like, man, and my sponsor was not like a person that, you know, he wasn't like a friend of mine, Henry. He was like he was not a yes man. He was, he was like a person that would like, I mean, I was like basically living under his guidance. Yeah. And uh, he was being real. Yeah. You. He is totally, he's being a hundred percent real. Uh, and that hurt because I, I, I actually like deep down when he said it, like it gave me chills and it felt like he was like cutting right through my soul. And I was like, yeah, he's right. And I was like, damn it. So I went back to yoga. I went back the second time. It was a, it was like a, 10 week intro class and it was the second week and I went back that following Saturday and I, I did it again. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's almost poetic in the way that this yoga class was so important for your recovery because of the way you described the part of it that was difficult for you. The fact that it was so reflective, like you were having to face all these emotions and feelings when it was the, those very feelings in the beginning that you were running away from through the bottle and, and the drugs. Right. Yeah, I basically describe my addiction as me trying to fill this God-sized hole inside of me with things that were external, with drugs, mm. alcohol, clothes, money, women, motorcycles, cars. You know, I tried to fill this God-sized hole and really what I needed was to tune into myself, have a connection with my higher power and feel good on the inside. Um, and I, I, I was able to start the process of yoga, which, you know, helped me fill that, that void that I had. Yeah. Well, it came at perfect divine timing. <laughs> Absolutely. So that those first few classes that you took, that was like an intro course. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably that wasn't traditional Ashtanga yoga. How did, how did you get wrapped into that world? Well, um, the crazy thing is it was like a, um, it, it was an intro to Ashtanga yoga. So she was teaching us. Ashtanga oh, was. yoga. Yeah. She was okay. teaching us that. Um, that's cool, but it wasn't like the traditional format, like Mysore. And really after that second class, um, I asked her how I could do it every single day. Uh, because that was the first time after that second class that I felt like I wanted to be in my own skin. Like I wanted to be me that day after that second class. Like I really had a transformative experience. Like the first time like was hard because it was reflective. But the second one was like, like it showed me that like how, like how to love myself and like how to treat myself and, and how to be there for myself and, you know, how to find value in me and trust me again you know, all of those things. And after that class, I rolled up from, you know, taking a rest. And, and I remember looking her in the eyes. I was like, how do we do this every day? And she's like, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you asked. And, and I started <laughs> practicing at her house, which she had a little Mysore program. Uh, we also practiced at a studio that had a couple days of Mysore. Um, it was really before uh, they had a stronger here, but they, they didn't, it didn't like kind of uh, there was no traditional programs where they had six days a week and one lead class and that kind of stuff. Uh, I was way before that time. So was this in Columbus? Yes. Yeah, it was in okay. Columbus. 
And, and did that teacher go on to have a like a role for you, like an advisory teacher role for you ongoing? I mean, you know, I, I still today consider her like one of my closest like confidants. Like, I mean, she's basically what I would say, like she's my yoga mom. Anytime yeah. I feel off base or anytime I need to connect with someone who is just like completely solid because she's an amazing human being. Um, I, I feel like I, all I do is reach out to her and like have a conversation with her. And it's like, we just are in, like, I'm in a better place when I do it. So she's like my yoga mom. Right on. Yeah. So these, these days, you know, you've got your own Shala Ashtanga Yoga Columbus, yep. right? Yeah. And, um, and you've got the Trini foundation. Um, so you've got a few different ways that you're sharing Ashtanga with a broader community. Um, how did you transition into that role? Yeah, well, I started making trips to Mysore, India, and um, I, you know, I started teaching maybe after the second year of practicing. Um, I went through a teacher training course that was Ashtanga based, and um, I, I started teaching a little bit. It was mostly like classes and intro classes and stuff like that. Um, but I reached a spot where I was just like, like I, I need to take this deeper. It means so much to me, and I was changing. You know, I changed eating behaviors. I changed you know, like the people that I hung out with, like I felt in line with like the spirit, like felt in touch with like my Dharma and my path, like all of that stuff, like started coming into alignment. And, um, I started visiting this guy in Michigan. His name is Matthew Darling. And Matthew Darling was like an authorized teacher. And I went up to him and I sort of apprenticed under him and stuff like that. And and I started like really like kind of deepening my studies with him. This is after the teacher training course. And um, I, I really wanted to be at like a traditional teacher. And I remember like after a certain amount of time, he looked at me and he said, Taylor, I got nothing else to teach you. I was like, are you, I was like, are you kicking me out? Like, you know, like I, I thought we were having like a difficult, you know, like he's like breaking up with me or something like that. And he's like, he's like, I got nothing else to teach you. You can come and practice here and you know, I'll teach you, I mean, I'll teach you everything that I know, but to be honest with you, like you need to go drink from the well. And I was like, what? He's like, you need to go drink from the well. And I was like, done deal. Where's the well at? Like, let me go, <laughs> let me go to that place. Like the South of India. And he's like, get in, you a plane ticket. Yeah. He's like in Mysore, India. And like the, the, over the next like couple months, like Shrat was actually coming to the United States. And this is the year uh, that Patabi Joyce actually passed away. And, um, uh, like I went to like Sharat's class and I, I basically like Sharat was my teacher. As soon as I walked, like walked in the space, like I introduced myself. Um, and I took these classes a whole, whole like week in New York. And I was like, I'm going to Mysore, India. Like I had to like taste test it before it happened. And, you know, I had to get my work in line with it because I had like a corporate job that I worked with my dad. Um, and I had to get like a, you know, I basically took eight weeks off, um, to go to, to Mysore and I went, went there, um, with the blessing of my, my parents and, you know, family and stuff like that. And I got a break from work and I went there and, and I studied for the first time. And, you know, I, I went back and I spent a massive amount of time there, like, you know, three months, like three, like I did three months trips for a long time. And then I, I started transitioning into smaller, um, like one month or two month trips, um, as like my family grew, but I mean, I got authorized on my third trip, um, to Mysore and, and I thought it was like a perfect time to like start a Shala. And I, 
I basically started Ashtanga Yoga Columbus. Um, I mean, we're coming up on five years. Um, it started January 1st, um, if you can believe that. So like the 1st of January in 2015, um, I opened up the doors and I, and I had taught at other studios, uh, but this was like the first studio in Columbus that was dedicated to just one teaching, uh, which is, I, yeah. I think is pretty unique nowadays. Like most of the time there's like multiple you know, disciplines and stuff like that. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Those schools are fewer and far between by the day. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so like, I, I, like it feels five years seems like a, you know, a really long time, especially because like what we do is a lot different than what the other studios in town do. But, um, when yeah. I was writing my book, that's when, um, I started the training foundation. And the reason why I started the training foundation is because I didn't want anyone else to suffer the way that I suffered. And I, and I was like, if I can teach them yoga in a treatment center, uh, because it was initially just going to be like me, you know, like I was like, and I had already, already been teaching at treatment centers to be honest with you. And so I, I was teaching and, and there was like, you know, a bunch of success. And I was like, I wrote the book and I was like, I need to help people. Like I, that, that is like, you know, I believe it's yoga, like, you know, like service, like that's part of my path, um, helping other people, you know, to yes. help them achieve sobriety and, and being of service and showing them that there's a different way. And, and I, you know, we started this foundation and then I got Shrot on board for, uh, being an honorary director, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, like the next year we raised a hundred thousand dollars, which we had no idea what to do with Henry. It's like, what are we supposed to do with this hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah. And like, we started setting yeah. up programs and then, you know, so we had like all of these yoga schools that were like, you know, like preferred studios. Like, so if someone reached out to us, we would send them to a Mysore program at, you know, in Austin or, you know, in Philadelphia or whatever. And we just started like, we just spent the, we spend the money to help the people. <laughs> like that's what we do. And so we started giving them scholarships and then we started paying teachers to go into treatment centers and halfway houses and prisons. And I was like, how did this happen? You know, like this guy who couldn't do a chaturanga all of a sudden, like, you know, has a bunch of teachers that are going into treatment centers teaching or, and also prisons and halfway houses, all these detox centers. And, and then like also supporting, you know, a bunch of people that are practicing around the country and now also in Europe and in the UK too. Um, like how did this happen? Yeah. How, how amazing is it, that? It's freaking, it's, I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it kind of, it shows you like when, when something takes off like that and it become and it like grows and, um, and impacts people on a scale that just outpaces even your, your dreams for right. it it shows you that it's beyond you, yeah. you know, like you were that spark that initiated it and your story had to align just the way it did for it to take off. But then once it passes that threshold where other people are on board and they're supporting it and growing it, and then it's just, it takes on a life of yeah. its own. And it's amazing now. And that only happens when it's, when it's doing something to help people. Yeah. And, and it's amazing too, because like I've seen like, the people walk in and I've seen them benefit from it. And I've seen them like, you know, I've seen them progress like the same way that I did, you know, and, and to be of service yeah. and to see that in another human is it's remarkable. You know, it, it, you know, it's such a cliche to say like yoga has changed my life, but I live that, 
Like I live that. It, I mean, there's a reason why cliches become cliche, you know, they have, of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but like when I say it, it's like, yeah, every single aspect of my life has changed as a result of like, mm-hmm. you know, being involved in, you know, the yoga practice and, you know, like to give that to another person, like, you know, I, I give blood, sweat and tears to the Trinity foundation. Like, you know, we raise a bunch of money and like, we're setting up more partner studios, and more teachers and all of these things. It's just, it's remarkable work, man. And, and it's like, I'm not patting myself on the back because I'm not responsible for all of it. There's, right. there's a bunch of people that volunteer. There's a bunch of people that teach that we, that we pay, pay them that hold space for like a very difficult community. Um, and you know, like we have yoga schools that teach or have donation classes for us. You know, we have yoga um, schools that are, have Mysore programs that have 20, there's, there's a program that I'm thinking of like in Portland that literally has like 15 uh, scholarship students. You know, there was another one like in Atlanta that had a massive amount of students as well. It's like, like, how did I get here? You know? And like, that's what I'm talking about with like my Dharma. It's just like this perfect moment of like me coming into doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, that's, and that's alignment and it's powerful. Yeah. That's dope. Um, you know, you, you spoke really fondly and, uh, and gratefully about the 12 steps and also about yoga. I'm curious, what is, what is your take on how those two systems work together? Or, um, you know, what, what is the context for how people can use yoga in a rehabilitation setting? Yeah. Um, they're the same thing, really. Okay. Um, they, they, they are the exact same thing. I'm actually in the process of writing an, um, another book. Cool. And um, it, it's going to outline this um, because uh, literally everyone asked me, like, what's the, you know, intersection between the two? And and the simple answer is they're the same thing, uh, especially like eight limbs are very similar to, you know, 12 steps, like, and, and really the 12 steps helped me get right with me and help me like sort of eliminate the things that were in my way of like my higher purpose. And the eight limbs gave me sort of like this, uh, this design to basically find community, how to treat other, other people how to be truthful, um, what it meant to have practices that I could do that could help maintain like mental health um, to what are these like devotional things that I need to do in order to take care of my spiritual health. And what are these poses that I need to do in order to take care of my physical health? Like, and so um, at which that's not contained and um, like those aspects aren't necessarily contained in the 12 steps. Uh, but the, the commonality between is that the, really the philosophy behind them, it's that we're just trying to be better humans, you know, and, and that's like the bare minimum. And we're not, we're, we're not meant to be by ourselves. We're actually meant to be in communities together, uh, practicing yoga, conversating with, the, with each other, you know, knowing people that, you know, that are like-minded Um, like, like finding your tribe, like everyone says. And so, yeah, so there's this huge intersection of the, of the two. And, you know, I'm I'm super enthusiastic about like, I'm trying to get this book, um, you know, done as soon as possible. And, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it actually. So cool. um, And I'm, I've already started. 
but so. Well, I'm glad I could validate your book concept and <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry to ask you for the millionth time, but yeah, it's, it's, an, okay. it's a good, yeah. it's an important question. And I think, um, that's a good answer. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I mean, mindfulness, um, you know, like yoga and mindfulness and breathing and all of these things, like they're essential for mental health. Like they are, like, I know it for, for my case, but watching all these people and studying the people that were teaching in, uh, you know, in treatment centers and stuff like, you know, it radically changes things. You know, it's like we get this framework of like the eight limbs and the 12 steps, but it's fascinating to just watch someone take these ideas and put them into like actual practice because they make rapid change. Mm -hmm. We're all of a sudden like thing that something that is okay, you know, like year one of sobriety and, or even year one of yoga is no longer okay at year two, you know? And, and a lot of times, or, or the people that I surrounded myself before sobriety, they never changed. They were the exact same person all the time, you know? And, and I can't live like that. I'm either growing or dying. Mm -hmm. And so like taking those two things and putting them together and saying like, yoga people, it's okay. Like if you're trying to get more fulfillment and you could use these 12 steps also, but these 12 steps for someone who's in recovery, uh, you can use those to like get right with the world. But then there's also this spiritual thing that you have to do as well um, and get connected. Yeah. And so like they're, they're, they're just like mirror images of one another. And, and um, you know, so people ask me that a lot. Um, and, and it's part of the reason why I'm like, I got to write about this, like, because mm -hmm. I think it's very important to, to address it because not every AA person or, um, 12 step person is okay with doing a yoga practice either, which is mind boggling to me. Um, for so, philosophical but, reasons, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or even and also for, you know, sometimes like because of the higher power of their choosing. Right. Like religious. Yeah. 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 Of course. And it's like, wow, like how can you take this whole meditative thing that has been so transformative to me and um, say that it's not worth doing? I, I think everyone should be doing yoga, to be honest with you. It's like, like in Finland, I heard that there's a statistic like 50% of their population like does yoga. Uh, which isn't a huge population, but like, I mean, just imagine if 50% of the people in the United States practiced yoga, like how much better would our society be as a result of it? I mean, and there I would be it, a massive lift in consciousness. Totally. No doubt. Yeah. And, and well, so that's the premise of it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you said that they basically, these two systems have the same essence, like they have the same heart underneath them, but the steps and like the mechanics of the two are where they diverge. That's where they separate. Right. I think systematizing something is a really powerful way to make it accessible to many people. It kind of comes back to the same thing, like where you were teaching, like you were coming into treatment centers and giving yoga classes. But at a certain point, you're like, well, I need to scale this effort if I want to make a big difference. So that's where you created the Trini Foundation and empowered others to further your cause. Yep. Like that's to me, that's what a system is all about. It's like breaking it down so that anyone can digest it. Totally. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm totally. Uh, I mean, uh, that's what I believe as well. It's like, how do you make this so that it's accessible to all people? And I think that's also, you know, because I don't have any experience in any other yoga styles. I've never done anything else um, besides Ashtanga yoga. And, and so for me, like how our method is taught 
is the best thing for an addict. And the reason why is because it's so like deliberate and it and it's so like captivating in the sense that it's it's physicality, but also the attention that you have to uh, to give it. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, we teach one pose at a time and you know, we teach in small sections of like the practice and we're not rushing towards the finish line and there's no carrot dangling out in front of people. It's like, how do you own this practice yourself? That's what we try and teach. Like, or at least that's what I try and teach in like my Mysore room where you're doing this for you, you know, and that's, that's also amazing as well. It's like, you know, it's almost like I fell into like this perfect system that I feel like helps addicts you know, because it establishes discipline and helps them connect with their higher power where the, the poses can be their prayers or the, their time of peace or any of that stuff. It's just, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how I got here, Henry. Like I, I and, and I'm just like completely grateful that I'm here and I'm able to share like this kind of message and, and share this practice and give people an opportunity to practice yoga. Like it's, you know, if it doesn't get any better than this, I'm okay with it. What sort of, um, like, do you modify the, the Ashtanga teaching method or sequence at all for this particular context? I mean, you kind of have to. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and so what, like in order to uh, modify it, like what I felt best about it is like I sat down with Sherrod and we talked about like what would be the things that would be important for like this uh, group of people to, you know, get from the, you know, get from the practice. And I remember having like this like sit down and, and we went through sort of like, you know, what's important that they establish sun salutations, they know how to breathe and that they are, have a firm grasp of what the standing poses are. And then I remember like, you know, having the conversation about like, you know, how should we skip anything or should there something? And, and I remember like really going through these like little modifications of the practice. And, you know, like one, for example, is like instead of, you know, putting your leg into half lotus uh, standing, you know, put, going into like a figure four position, mm-hmm. you know, and that was like one of the suggestions that was like, OK, like, you know, thing, things like that. And, and also, you know, sometimes we add blocks for people. And, and we've also taught people that, you know, don't have a leg or they have like, um, you know, prosthetic or they don't have an arm because of, you know, drug use. And, and of course, like we have to modify it. Like, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense, but we try and basically establish like what they would do when the teacher is not there, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and like when the teacher's there, like maybe it's a different story because they can get better suggestions. But by the time we leave out of a treatment center or even the, the, the client leaves out of a treatment center, we try and make sure that they know how to do it for them, you know, and, and yeah. How to self-direct their practice. Totally. Yeah. Because that, awesome. I mean, that, yeah, to empower someone to do that on their own. I mean that, I mean, you're winning if you, if you empower someone to like, they know how to basically tune in to be like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my yoga practice and give them enough clarity and direction and enough, like, you know, firm understanding of like what you're supposed to be doing so that they can maintain it. And the teacher's totally. not standing over it. It's important for sobriety. And also, I mean, it's important for the normal person too, if mm-hmm. there is such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, we do like make modifications. You gotta, 
you gotta, it's better to teach them how to fish rather than give them the fish, um, which kind of leads them to the next step, which is how once no one is watching me and directing my practice, not only do I need to know the mechanics, but I also have to summon the discipline and the willpower to continue it, which makes you ask the question, why, you know, why should I keep doing this? Which I think is such an important question for everyone to continually ask themselves. You know, this is part of the practice is the introspection. Um, and it's something that you've, uh, created a whole podcast around. So yeah, I mean, talk, that's to, a, talk to us about the Heartbreak Kids podcast. Yeah, I mean, I started the Heartbreak Kids podcast because I was tired of hearing my story. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, sort of, uh, not necessarily. I, I wanted to, I was surrounded by some of the most amazing, and I still today, I am surrounded by some of the most amazing students, you know, and some of the most amazing teachers. And I, I wanted to give them an opportunity to share their, like their big why, like why they practice. And, and, um, you know, like I started doing it and, and it just started taking form and it like turned into its own little, um, own little thing. And, and I really wanted to empower people to just be themselves and be authentic and just like share what they needed to share because we're only as sick as our secrets. You know, and that's like the premise of the podcast. It's like share your stuff so that you can like live in empowerment, you know, and like take me as I am. And like, here's why I practice because, you know, and like take me as I am. And, and because that's what I did with my book. And I just wanted to give other people like a mouthpiece and I wanted to share these amazing people around me. And, and I mean, it, uh, it's been a true honor to listen to these people's stories of heartbreak and to see them uh, triumph over it. And that has been that it, it, it literally, when I do these podcasts, it inspires me to like relook at my why and to rededicate myself to my practice. Cause you know, hearing some of the stories, like, I mean, they break my heart, you know? I mean, that's why I call it the heartbreak kids. It's like, you know, like there, there's so much trauma and tragedy in our, in our world. And we're better when we share it and we talk about it and we get to the other side of it and we can do it together instead of like suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's why I started the podcast to, to really give that mouthpiece and like to let people be who they needed to be in a place of non-judgment and to, and, and to listen to them as they they went through difficult times. You've with the podcast, you've really carried the torch of that lasting piece of advice you got from your sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Has do you still keep in touch with him? Is he does he listen to the podcast ever? Um, you know, I I've fallen out of touch with him. Um he moved recently and I've I've fallen out of touch with him. I haven't seen him for a really long time, but man, he was one of the people that helped shape my life. You know, totally. he was so, so direct and he was so, um, he was everything that I needed, um, at that moment in time. And I worked the steps with him and man, I just worked my ass off. Uh, I mean, and he just, I was on it. I was like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Like I'm totally into it. And I, I mean, he worked me and worked me and worked me and I was willing to do it. And, and it was the most trans, uh, transformative years of my life, um, doing that stuff with him. It was really, um, 
yeah, I mean, he's a person that um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to repay for for the you know what he's done for me. So, can you leave our audience with with a replay of that piece of advice one more time? Yeah, I mean, he he basically um, my sponsor looked at me and he said, you know, all of these things that you're sharing that came up in your first yoga class are being brought up so that they can be processed. And he said, uh, if, if you don't process this stuff and like get to the other side of it, I don't know if you're going to stay sober. And he's like, so you need to, he was like, you need to do this work. All that stuff is coming up for a reason. And now you have a tool in order to get through it. And, you know, I basically said, you're going back to yoga. <laughs> uh, take the tool, man. Like you're going back Taylor, to yoga. take the tool. Seriously. And I've continued <laughs> to take it over the last, you know, yeah, I've been sober for 13 years or uh, approaching 14 years. But, um, you know, and I've been practicing yoga for that, you know, almost that entire time. And it changed my entire life. You know, yeah. I'm grateful for it. I mean, you're beyond uh, using the tool at this point. You've used the tool, you've refined the tool, and now you're passing it on to others to use the tool. So very inspiring. I, I think the work that you're doing is awesome, really important. And um, yes, it's moving me. It's really moving me. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate uh, you know you sharing me with your audience. And I, I really respect, respect your podcast and, and I appreciate you having me on. Of course. But before you go, I can't let you go without closing out with the prana round. So okay, let's do it. Let's let's do this thing. I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions. All okay. Right. Let's do it. In in one word, why do you practice yoga? Change. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? None of them. <laughs> in one word, you want me to explain that? It it can be a sentence. Yeah, the rest of them are sins. The pose that I like the best is maybe Kapatasana because it's transformational and in its nature because it's so uh, the depth of the experience of it. Yeah, that is a deep experience in Kapatasana. (laughs) Why did you say uh, none of them at first? I mean, my first initial reaction to any single time that someone asked me if I like yoga poses is like, I don't like them. I like the effect of them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I like the effect of what they give me, actually. So, um, gotcha. Yeah, they're all painful, you know, <laughs> like, uh-huh. or in uh, their own uh, unique in, ways. In their own unique ways, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, actually, we've covered this question. What's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received? Normally, I say from a yoga teacher, but I think that you know, feel your feelings and allow them to process or else you're not making it to the other side is that's the advice man that is it gives me chills just hearing you say that too so recommend one book modern or ancient for our audience of course to go alongside your your book away from darkness oh man that's huge well one of the books uh that i'm currently into is uh leaders eat last and it's by Simon Sinek, an inspiring author who I, I'm, I'm totally into him. Cool. And you're using that as a kind of like um, reference for building Trini Foundation and your Shala? 
Totally. Um, you know, because I, I believe a lot of what we do in the Mysore room is, and also like with the training foundation is all about like the leadership standpoint of it. And so he covers all of that in there. So, cool. Uh, yeah. Is yoga for everyone? Yes, it is. Last question, Taylor, how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? Well, I mean, the first thing is you can um, obviously like, you know, social media channels, it's Taylor Hunt Yoga, um, but also to really support my Dharma, um, you know, you could uh, make a donation for uh, to the Trini Foundation, uh, which it's www.trinifoundation.org. Um, and you can make a donation to help save someone's life and get them into the, you know, the practice of yoga and help support them in like their scholarships or help support a teacher in uh, the treatment centers that we teach. Um, that would be one of the best ways. And if nothing else, you could come visit me and hang out with me at one of the workshops I do around the country. Nice. Um, yeah, I've got one last question for you. Trini of course means three in Sanskrit. What's, what's yeah. the origin of the name, the Trini foundation? Yeah. So, um, we teach the third limb, um, because it's tangible. Gotcha. gotcha. And, and there's also three directors. I'm the executive director. And then there's also Don Blevins and then also my wife, Jessica Hunt. So it has two meetings, three people, but we also teach from this very tangible aspect of like asana. postures and yeah. And, yeah. Asana. Right on. Yeah. All right, Taylor, it's been such a pleasure to, to hear your story. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, I just have to say like the, the amount of work that you've done on yourself is really inspiring, but even more so than that is the way that you've transformed it into a whole life of service. So I'm so grateful to you. I know that you've touched so many people and I really appreciate you taking time to come on and share on Dharma Talk. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, and like I said, I, I appreciate you having me on the show and, and thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.